Let's go to Psalm 91 and verse number 11. Then uh, you can be seated after that so that uh, I know you've been standing for a while. Psalms 91 and 11. If you're there, shout amen. amen. If you're not, say, Pastor, talk five more minutes and I'll find it. All right, Psalm 91, 11. Let's read this together. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. You believe that? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to every heart and every life tonight. Let the Spirit of God bring forth revelation. Let the angels of the Lord minister in this house tonight. Let your sweet spirit walk up and down the aisles of this sanctuary, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes on the runway tonight before we... Uh, before we jump off the ground, um, and I want to talk to you just a little bit about this this verse. I'm going to say this uh, with kindness and compassion, but you know there are promises that people lay claim to that don't belong to them in the Word of God. People talk about the Lord being a strong tower for them that they can run into and find safety. And they need to get in the book and they need to read. That's not a promise for everybody. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and find safety. We live in a world that whether they realize it or not, it is ruled by the supernatural. But here's the problem. The world and people that are doing darkness are more aware of the supernatural oftentimes than the children of God. And it's amazing to me if you look at the agenda of Hollywood, um, the things that they write, the screen rights that they do for movies and uh, whatever, whether it's dealing with sexuality, uh, politics, whatever is the movie is about, there's always going to be some kind of a spiritual undertone. That there's something happening in the movie that affects the big picture by something that just, let's just say it, it just happens. It just so happens to be that so-and-so was in the right place at the right time and Wouldn't you know it changed the course of history forever. Well, that's the world that we see. But the invisible world that you and I cannot see is really where all the strings are being pulled. And people are manipulated by spirits that they did not even realize they entertained. They are entertaining. Now, I'm not out of the book yet, okay? The scripture said that we're going to entertain angels unaware. It didn't just say the angels that stayed with him. Because there were two-thirds that stayed with him and a third was kicked out of heaven. And I believe that people have encounters often with spiritual visitations that they don't realize they have opened themselves up to. Uh, I had a conversation one day this week with one of the men in, in our church. We were standing out in the parking lot here talking about ways that people open up portals in their lives that they don't even realize. I know that sounds like a crazy word. It's a real word. That's a real deal. 
people are opening up portals in their lives and spirits are passing through. And once you've shut the screen off or you've shut whatever off that you're watching or viewing, or once you've shut that off, just because the power went off and you can't see the screen doesn't mean that you closed it off. And so while you're laying in bed and you're at rest, the spirit world is never at rest. And the spirit world was certainly not at rest while the churches of America were not gathering. And so uh, we came through just fine. We are, we've got a lot of momentum. Uh, and don't think that I'm trying to start off negative tonight. But you can see that not everybody came through unscathed. There were some people that were deeply affected by carnality and the things that they entertained during that time and that season. And it leads us to understand that not everybody can just grab hold of the promises of God in the word and say, that belongs to me. So when uh, I personally believe that Psalm 91 is written by Moses and when Moses was writing Psalm 91, uh, he makes a statement. He says... That the Lord shall give his angels charge over thee. Verse 10. He said there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Who is thee and thy? Who do these promises belong to? That is answered in verse number 1. He that dwelleth. In the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord. See, I don't even have to preach that. Y'all know where I'm going. Not everybody that says, I'm a Christian. Not everybody that says, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. Not everybody can say that the angels of the Lord have charge over me. Because you've got to pay the price to connect yourself to the promises of God that are yea and in him. Amen. God is not going to give. I don't, I don't know how else to do this, but just jump in. God is not going to give his angels free charge with a Jezebel spirit. It's going to be somebody that has separated themselves unto the Lord. Watch this now. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. But when your ways are walking on paths that angels won't go down, then angels are not obligated to have charge over you. Can I spend a little time right here on the ground for just a minute? Not everybody has access to the angels of the Lord. I, I know that's a, the whole world wants a supernatural thing, you know. Somebody leaving a nightclub, been dancing, said, I almost got in an accident, but I know the Lord just had his angels with me. There was something with you. And I thank God that he kept you. But we can't live any old way that we want to live and expect to tie ourselves to the promises of God. I believe it's for he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. I believe that he that dwelleth in that secret place is going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, 
With that said, I believe that we have plenty of scriptural context and understanding that if you have that place in God, that you can lose that place in God, and that there will come a time that you'll either repent and get back to that place with God, or you'll spend a lifetime wishing you would have. Calvinism and doctrines like this that are damnable doctrines will teach you that once you're saved, you're always saved. That could not be further from the truth. There is no such doctrine in the scripture as once saved, always saved. Isn't it ironic that the Lord starts the story of humanity and creation with showing us that it is possible to lose the favor of God when you disobey? And yet men have spent the last thousand years trying to twist the scripture and say, Oh, absolutely not. No man can pluck you out of the hand of God. No man can't pluck me out of the hand of God, but I can sure jump out. And I've got to be very careful to guard myself and to be cautious. Does anybody here know why in the world anybody would want to buy into a damnable doctrine of once saved, always saved? Because it is a doctrine of convenience. That I can do what I want to do and I'll still be saved. That is, that is one of the craziest thought processes I've ever seen in my life. That somebody would come to the Lord, get saved, and then leave the church. And expect to have the same quality of spiritual life that they had while they were in the church. And then to have a preacher stand up and tell them, you need to come to church. But if you don't, you're still going to be saved. Now think about that. I want you to think about the doctrines that are preached in today's religious places of gathering. I almost hate to call them a church. That they'll tell people, you don't have to do anything to be saved. Just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you're saved. Then why in the world are they still in the church today? Why are they still sitting in your pews? Because if they don't have to do anything, if, they, if somebody told me that, said you don't have to do anything to be saved, just he, he'll take you away. I'd never come back. It's like the conversation I, I had with the little Jehovah Witness girl one day, and she said that I was. She was talking to me about getting in the kingdom. I said, "Well, what, what happens if you if you die and you're not in in the Jehovah's Witness church? Like to you, you're Jehovah's Witness." I said, "What happens to you?" If you die outside the church. And she said, I cease to exist. I said, so why are you here talking to me? She looked at me kind of funny. I said, girl, if I was you, I'd be out having sex with whoever I wanted to, drinking whatever I want, partying with whoever. I'd, I'd do whatever I want. She looked at me funny. I said, if the only thing I've got to lose is just, a, I don't exist anymore. I said, what happens if you stay in the church? She said, oh. Well, we get, we get a spot in a certain kind of paradise. I was like, what's that? Are you talking about like heaven? She said, no, 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 no. That's reserved for the 144,000. I said, are all those seats spoken for? She said, oh, yeah. I said, so here's what you're telling me. All the seats in heaven are spoken for. And the worst thing that can happen to you is you're just going to go on the ground. She said, yeah. I was like, we should not even be having this conversation. Why are you witnessing to me? 
Because if that's all there is to it, I'm not going to believe what you're telling me to believe. It, I don't care what the watchtower says. If all I've got to do is cease to exist, boom, baby. Everybody wants to believe in the angels. Everybody wants to believe in paradise. Everybody wants to believe in heaven. Nobody wants to believe in hell. Y'all remember that old song, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, and here's my sermon, you can't have you worldly people. You can't have one without the other. You can't have heaven and not have hell. Come on, somebody. Everybody does not get the protection of the angels that is promised to him that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. There is a place reserved for righteous people that I want to dwell in, that I want to be in. And we are going to take a look tonight at some things that I feel like can help somebody if you will go with me. And I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be a protected man and woman of God. Somebody shout the hedge. So the scripture said the Lord's going to give his angels charge over you. And I want to talk to you tonight about the hedge. How many of you want a hedge? Woo! Man, I don't want him lifting the hedge in my life. Now, in the land of us, there was a man named Job. That was perfect and upright and one that feared God. And he wanted nothing to do with evil. Because it's not enough to love God. You've got to hate evil. Now, he had seven sons. I'm in Job chapter 1. He had seven sons and three daughters. I don't want to bore you with all this, but it's pretty powerful to look at the guy. He had 7,000 sheep, 300 camels, uh, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, five. Hundred she asked. a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. The easiest way of explaining this to you is that Job was the wealthiest man in the known world at that time. Or so we believe. Job was very, very wealthy. He had a lot. Uh, there's a lot of debate as to where he was. A lot of people believe that he was in what we now know as modern day Saudi Arabia area. He's a very, very wealthy man. But Job's story is very interesting because... His world falls apart. It's a sad deal. But we know for sure that Job was an upright man. He feared God. God's hand was upon him. As a matter of fact, his hand was on him so much that the Lord was approached by an angelic being at the council of God before the throne of God, and Lucifer comes with these Elohim, these angelic beings before the Lord. And it was not Lucifer that asked about Job. It was the Lord that asked Lucifer the question, have you considered my servant? Now, it's a little principle you'll miss, but what do you have to do and how do you have to live for the Lord to look at Satan and say, that's my servant? That's a man that serves me. That's a man that loves me. That's a man that's close to me. That's a man that we've spent some time together. What is it that causes 
Job to be close to God. And I believe that we have an answer to that in the fifth verse of chapter 1. And I'm going to take you down a road tonight that I hope will help you because it sure has helped me in study. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. Rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And watch this. Thus did Job continually. What is the cry of Job's wife and his friends throughout the story? Curse God. There was something about Job that he feared cursing God. He feared cursing God so much that he was scared when he was not looking at one of his children that had their own home that maybe one of them had cursed God. And he said, I don't even want my children cursing God. And just in case they did curse God, I will continually offer blood sacrifice, burnt sacrifice. He was a man, I'm not making this up, thus did Job, what's that last word? All the time. Job offered sacrifice unto the Lord all the time. He feared the Lord. What in the world is it that causes Lucifer to look in the direction of Job as the Lord is speaking to him and say to the Lord, I can't get to him. The Lord, you can see this picture if you read the story. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Verse 10. Hast not thou made an hedge about him? And about his. And about all that he hath. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Now you start reading about. This hedge, and you start thinking about, well, was it like a stone wall? Was it like, uh, uh, was it something like uh, sticker bushes around the house? What, what was it? No, no, no. Lucifer told the Lord, he said, you've got a hedge around him. It's a hedge that you made. So let me, let me just tell you tonight what I personally believe it is. I believe that the hedge that Lucifer is speaking about is an angelic host. I believe that it is angelic host that is standing around Job and everything that he has. And that's why Lucifer notices he is in the presence of angels, in the presence of God. And he looks in the direction of Job and he says, How can I consider him when angels are around him? There was something so powerful about the hedge that was around Job. That Lucifer himself could not break through that hedge. What made the hedge so powerful around Job? I believe, and we're going to try to prove to you biblically tonight, that the reason there was a hedge of angels around Job is because Job continually offered blood sacrifice. Somebody shout, there's power in the blood. Are angelic hedges biblical? Is it something that we've seen other places in the scripture? Absolutely. Let's begin in Genesis 3 and 24. You see that there's a flaming 
uh, sword that a cherub is standing there with guarding the tree of life. For the next approximate 800 years of Adam's life that he lived on the earth, he was never allowed to walk back into that garden in the place of that tree. Why? Because there was an angelic hedge there. It was a hedge of protection that protected sacred things. When was it that the angel of the Lord appeared as a hedge of protection at the garden? It was after the animal was slain and skins were put on Adam and Eve. There was something about the sacrifice of blood that brought angelic activity to the garden and created a hedge. But this time, Adam is on the wrong side of the hedge. Psalm 34 and 7 tells us that the angels of the Lord encamp round about them that confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. To them that fear Him. I want you to just look at that word right there. It's, that's a quick scripture that we can read and miss uh, a powerful principle here. The angel of the Lord does what? That means they stay there. It's an encampment. They are there. It is a hedge of protection around them that fear the Lord and delivers them. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17... You find, and I'm hurrying to get through this, you find the prophet Elisha and his servant wake up one morning and his servant looks up into the mountain and he says, Whoa! Look at that Syrian army! And I wasn't there, so I don't know if this is exactly how it was, but when I think about the story, all I see is prophet Elisha just standing there with a cup of coffee going... And his servant says, Oh my goodness, have you seen that? Yeah, I saw it. Now, Lord, I want you to open up his eyes. And I want you to let him see. What did he want him to see? He wanted him to see the angels of the Lord that were encamped round about. There's some serious angels that are encamping about somebody. When you can make a statement to your servant in relaxation mode and say, ah, don't worry about it. They that are with us are more than they that are with them. They that before us are more than they that are against us. But Elisha was in alignment with God. He was in a place that the Lord saw something in Elisha that was worth protecting. And so the Lord said, I'll put my angels around that. I can find holiness in a man. I can find holiness in a woman. And that's something that I want to protect. So I will make the heads round about them. And Elisha said, Lord, open this boy's eyes and let him see the hedge. It was a hedge. A hedge of biblical protection. What caused the hedge to be there for Job? I believe with all of my heart that it was the continual offering of blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17, 11 tells us beyond a doubt that for the life of the flesh, it is in the blood. There's something about building an altar 
that creates a reaction in the supernatural world. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, when Noah came off of the ark, the scripture said that he built an altar unto the Lord. And it was there that he built this altar and made a sacrifice unto the Lord. And in verse 21, I want you to notice what the verse said. It says, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said, when he smelled the savor of the sacrifice, I will withhold my curse. What do you think that meant? The Lord said, where there is blood and there is sacrifice, it reverses judgment. Is this biblical? Is this a principle that continually happens? It absolutely is in 1 Chronicles 21. David's in terrible straits. It's a bad, bad place to be. And the Lord is about to strike them with judgment, with a destroying angel that has come against them. In verse 15 of 21, God sent an angel to Jerusalem. What did he send it for? To destroy it. God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But in verse 26, David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered him burnt offering and, and peace offering. Verse 27, and the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. David said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to Ornan's threshing floor and I'm going to buy the place that the temple's going to be built. And there when I do that, I'm going to make an altar of sacrifice. It was a place where sacrifice had happened before. It was a place where Abraham had offered Isaac. I believe it was a place that Jacob had laid his head on the run from Esau. It was a place in the middle of the night where sacrifice had come before to the house of the Lord. And David said, I know what we need to do if we want to turn the hand of the judgment of God. I'm looking at an angel right here that's ready to destroy. But if you want to turn away the angel somebody better learn the power is in the blood in Exodus the 12th chapter you find out it was the blood that supernaturally communicated with the angel of destruction that was coming through the land during the Passover there was nothing else that was visible on the outside of the house. If I had time, I'd talk to you about this right now. Everybody talks about the only thing that matters is what's on the inside. Well, the inside was full of the lamb. But if they didn't have the outside covered in the blood, the angel didn't know what they were eating. When the angel came passing through, he said, I'm looking for an outward sign that somebody knows that the outside matters as much as the inside. And when the angel of the Lord came through and he started looking at doorposts and littles, he said, oh my goodness, I see a little blood right there. That's a sweet-smelling savor. And I cannot destroy where the blood is. Can I tell you tonight, it is still important to know that there is power in the blood. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hurry tonight. I don't want to, I don't want to make you stay here forever. But as long as Job had blood on the altar, the enemy was not able to penetrate his home and his family. 
He could not get through the hedge. Verse 10 of chapter 1, the hedge was there. And I believe that the hedge was angelic. Now, I want to take you just a little bit deeper if I can. I want you to stay with me in Job chapter 1. We're going to go to verses 13 through 17. If Job is a man of sacrifice, and he keeps the altar hot before God, then what is the pivotal moment in the story that Lucifer finally gains access to the things of Job? I'm going to show you. I'd never, ever, ever seen it on this wise before. There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Now the Lord is starting to give just a little bit of rope to the enemy. And where does it start? Go ahead, verse 14. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell on them and took them away. They have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am, I, I am escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, hath burned up the sheep and the servants, consumed them, and only I am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell on the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants uh, with the sword, and I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you. Watch me right here, church. The only way the hedge could be lifted is to strip Job of everything that he could offer blood sacrifice with. He stripped him of the oxen and the sheep. If the Lord would not have allowed access to the oxen and the sheep, and of course the camels, but the oxen and the sheep are very, very important here because the blood of that lamb is vitally important to the offerings that are being made. And the Lord said the only way that Satan is ever going to be able to get close to him is if I allow the enemy to take away his ability to offer blood sacrifice. Because as long as he has lambs, he'll have a hedge. As long as there is blood available, as long as he has something that he can lay down on the altar and offer me, he will always offer it. So Satan, if you want to get to him, you've got to come get his sacrifice. If you want to get... Woo. If you want to get to his family, you've got to get to his sheep first. Can I tell you right now that there is power and understanding. It was the blood that kept Satan out of the hedge for Job. And it will be the blood that keeps a hedge around your family. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to skim the surface with this and just keep you together. If you could see my brain right now, it looks like a gerbil running around a wheel. The only thing that kept the hedge in Job's life was now missing. And now Satan has access. I'm about to make a statement that is worth your entire night in coming to church. Once the blood was gone, so was the protection. When Job got out from underneath the blood, 
He was out from underneath the hedge. We talk about it all the time. I preached it on Sunday. Revelation 12 and 11. How'd they overcome? By the... See, you're preaching. You'll never overcome without the blood of the Lamb. But you cannot overcome... If every time you go to fight, you're fighting stuff in the spirit that's not yours to fight. What we need to do is learn the power of the name and the power of the blood. And let that hedge that's around us do some fighting. Some of you need to put your sword away and get your knife out and start getting the blood of the lamb on you again. My, 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 my. I'm going to show you something that you'll miss if you don't don't just look real, real close here. Hebrews 10 and 25. By the way, are these dudes on the computer amazing? How how quick they stay? Who's on there with me tonight? T-Dog? Is that Tyler? God bless your heart, man. I I pray for your girlfriend every day. It's going to mess with you a little bit right here, folks. If you don't think the enemy has an agenda, you've heard people quote this this scripture right here now, 1025. You've heard it quoted now for four months. Let's look at context. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. This is so difficult to swallow right here because the writer of Hebrews is directly connecting the strength of the believer with the gathering of the believer. You're welcome. It's just a service here and there, Pastor. It's just overtime. It's just a little extra money. It's just just a service here and there. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because it makes you weak and you began to willfully sin. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Verse 28, so stinking powerful. He that despised Moses' law without mercy under two or three witnesses Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy. Watch this right here in bold print in your mind. Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant. He said you have trampled on the blood of the covenant. You have trampled on the blood of Christ by willful sin. What have you done? You have removed the hedge from your life because you walked on the blood. Wow, that's messed up. So you're saying all I have to do is just start missing a little bit. All I have to do is just start disconnecting myself. All I have to do is just start getting weak. All I have to do is stop surrounding myself with positive, strong influences in the body of Christ. All I've got to do is just stay home and watch online when I could have went to church. Listen to what your pastor is telling you tonight. I'm grateful for everybody that joins online. I want them to keep joining. But if you've had to be stuck at home and you could not be here, but you've been here in the process, you know as well as I do, there is no substitute for being in the house of God. 
You cannot get through your phone or through a TV screen what you get when you're together with God's wonderful people. There's something that happens when we come together. And I'll tell you what it is. We start engaging the blood and it enacts the hedge. And that's why the enemy wants the church closed down. Because the stronger the hedge, COVID-19 can't penetrate it. I can't stay there. i got to hurry. This is so vitally important tonight. You know, there's several things that every Christian must do. I think it goes without saying, although sometimes it's neglected. I'm talking about ABC 123. I don't, I don't believe it's the will of God for us to stay on bottles and milk the rest of our spiritual life. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? I, it's the will of God at some point for us to get to the meat of the word of God. To start growing and whatever. But here's, here's what I approach oftentimes with much trepidation in making disciples. And that is, I fear sometimes in our search for the deeper things of God that we neglect the basic necessities. You can start trying to dissect the scripture and get you a Strong's Concordance number for every single word in the Bible. Well, that's not what that means, what it really means. And you can start digging in so where, where you want the whole world to think you're the smartest person in the world. And you're not getting any food anymore. And if you spend your whole life with the wrong motive trying to disprove everybody else. Listen. The Apostle Paul was not set for the offense of the gospel. He was set for the defense. We don't, we don't have to be attacking people with gospel. The gospel works. It's always worked. And there's a little principle that's going to sound really, really cold and really disconnected and like I'm trying to be rude, but I'm just going to tell you, listen to me. Everybody don't want it. And so if you keep trying to get, look, if somebody don't want butter on their bread and they keep telling you no, walk away with the butter. Save it for your own toast. Because you're going to find somebody that wants some good, creamy, rich butter on that bread. But I'm not going to stand and argue with people and tell them why they need to be saved. If they don't know they need to be saved, I'm not going to convince them they need to be saved. I'm not going to be able to stand around and argue with everybody. Well, I'm going to tell you what your problem is. You're baptized in the titles. You ain't got no revelation. You're hurting yourself. John Maxwell says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we're not going to win people by standing around and fussing with them and showing them how smart we are. But in the process of us trying to get deeper, and I think we should. I, I mean... For instance, I'm not going to argue with somebody whether Acts 2.38 is right. It's settled. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why Paul said, let us not lay again the foundation, but let us move on unto perfection. That doesn't mean you neglect the foundation. He said, quit laying it. 
Just accept it. Acts 2, 38 right. There's one way in. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, above all, through all. Write it down. Get it in your mind. It's truth. It's right. There's only one God. Settle it in your heart. And then move on and say, okay, God, start working on my character. Start building me. And the only way to go deeper is to stay shallow in the basics of understanding that I must pray. I must fast. I must read the word of God. How many of you feel like you could live for very long if you stopped breathing? Then why in the world do we think we can serve God without praying? Until the basic essentials of serving God become like breathing to us, we are missing. Listen, you are not a Christian because you come here. You you can't come here three times a week and say, Woo, I've grown in Christ. I hope you're growing because you're coming here. But that does not make you a disciple just because you come here. And that's exactly how the religious world approaches it. They don't, they don't say, how long have you been living for the Lord? They say, how long have you been in church? As if going to church defines my role in Christianity. And so in our pursuit of depth, and we've got to go deeper, but we cannot forget that there are basic essentials, prayer, fasting, faithfulness. When the doors are open, man, I'm here. I, I've got to do the basic essentials, but there are two things, in my opinion, that we don't talk about enough that are as essential as prayer and fasting, being filled with the Holy Ghost, all of the plan of salvation. There are two things that's wrapped up that we don't talk about enough. And number one is forgiving others. And number two is repentance or applying the blood. I'm not talking about telling God you're sorry. I'm talking about being covered in the blood. Forgiveness, I'll deal with in just a few minutes. But I want to talk to you about being covered in the blood every day. It is imperative. It is paramount. It is a must every single day of your life. Well, how often, Pastor? I don't know how to do it. Okay, well, let's look at the pattern of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament with the tabernacle and with the temple. How'd they do it? They had morning sacrifice and evening sacrifice. Somebody say blood in the morning, blood in the evening, blood in the morning, blood in the evening. It is important that when you get up to face your day, you don't face it uncovered. You need to get up in the morning and apply the blood. You need to apply the blood before you make decisions. You need to apply the blood before you go to work. You need to get up and look in the mirror of the word of God in the morning and say, Lord, what must I do today? What do I have to do? I plead your blood over my mind. I plead your blood over my mouth. I plead your blood over my spirit. I plead your blood over my heart. When you get up in the morning, start getting the blood on. Well, why do I need to do it at night? Because you're fixing to go to sleep and you've had a long day and you need to be sure that if I die before I wake, I wonder if my soul, there should be no wondering. When I go to bed, be covered in the blood be covered in the blood as you walk throughout the day be covered in the blood I don't care how old my kids are I don't care if they're 50 years old and married and I'm becoming an old man I pray the blood over my kids I plead the blood over my parents I plead the blood over this church are you hearing me because where there's blood there's a hedge When I say at night before I go to bed, I plead the blood of Jesus over this house. I'm I'm not looking for blood dripping on the house. 
I want that invisible world that I cannot see. I want that hedge that when Lucifer comes passing through Anderson and looks over at my house, he said, I'm not getting in there. And he looks over at some houses that have been pleading the blood, but they hadn't been dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And he looks over and he says, whoa, I know there used to be a hedge there. But there's no blood there anymore. There's no sacrifice there anymore. I see a strategy. I see a weak place. And when I come back next week, I'm going to see if they've got it back together or if they've continually allowed their sacrifice to fall short. I'm telling you, we've got to have the blood on us. Okay, I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. I promise I'm hurrying. Plead the blood in the morning. Plead the blood in the night. Plead the blood in the day. Let's get it done every day. Talk to him. I have hours where I spend seasons in prayer. And then I have fleeting prayers that I pray throughout the day. Not every prayer that I pray is walking the aisles of this sanctuary. Some of the prayers I pray are driving down the road. Some of the prayers I pray are when I stand up and walk to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. Some of the prayers I pray are when my kids think I'm crazy because there's people standing around. And I just say, Lord, I love you and thank you for your goodness. I plead your blood over my family. Now, I've got to hurry. So the hedge comes up. Bad things start happening to Job. And and you've read, uh, Brother Stephen did a great, great job teaching on Job the last couple weeks. I want you to notice about Job's life that's just like your life. Is it, Bishop, everybody had the answer to why everything was wrong in his life. I mean, you, you look at it. His wife said, just curse God and die. Job was so afraid to curse God. He didn't want his kids cursing. didn't want nobody cursing God. And that's why he said, the thing that I feared most, I have done. He wasn't talking about the, the threat of the enemy coming to him. He wasn't talking about Lucifer getting through the hedge. People say, yeah, the thing that he feared the most is what had happened to him when Lucifer came. He didn't fear Lucifer. You read just before he said that, it was when he opened his mouth and he said, Lord, I curse the day that I was born. And then he goes, oh, that that I feared the most. He didn't fear that hedge being broken, he, uh, that the enemy had come through the hedge. He feared letting it come out of his mouth that he was the reason the hedge got open. But his friends were amazing. I, I, don't, I don't believe in reincarnation, but Brother Frank, I'm pretty sure I've met all his friends. I think I've pastored some of them. They looked at him, they're like, you know what happened? Because you got secret sin. It's a judgment of God on you. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure if there's anybody that's going to call the judgment of God, he's going to use you to do it. It's amazing. One of them looked at him and said, you know what it is, Job? You had too much. Man, I've heard people wear this out. You had too much. God knew he couldn't trust you with that many blessings, and you were prideful over it. That's why. That, 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 that's why you're going through what you're going through. 
Because God can't trust you with blessings. Get real. He was the richest man in the entire region of the world. And he made the statement frequently that all of my blessings are from God. But you can tell that he's still trying to figure it out. Because he's making statements like the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But as you pull out and look at the story from the 60,000 foot view, that's when you start realizing God didn't take anything. So how does God give take away? Job hadn't seen the revelation yet, but he refuses to curse God. And if he would have cursed God, he would have been wrongly accusing God. Because it wasn't God that took it from him. But in chapter 41, it opens up by talking about Leviathan. And I don't have time to go into uh, Leviathan. Leviathan is a multi-headed serpent that basically, uh, we could just, if I could just draw you a big picture, I'd just, just say for the sake of this story tonight, Leviathan equals Satan, okay? Leviathan equals Lucifer, it's the spirit that's operating, it's the function, it's what's going on. But, Bishop, there is a little principle that I just absolutely love in the book of Exodus, the 22nd chapter and the 7th verse, that says that if a thief steals from you and that thief is found out, that that thief has to pay you back double. When the thief is found out, then he has to pay you back double. And in Job 41, which is only 42 chapters long, the Lord finally whispers down to Job and he says, It's not me. Leviathan's working. And now, The thief has been exposed. And there's a double payment that's coming back. Because the thief has been exposed. Let me get that in your spirit. When the thief is exposed, he has to pay back double. So I came on Wednesday night to sniff him out. I came on Wednesday night to expose him. And I want to tell the thief tonight, I'm calling your bluff. You're going to pay me back. And you're going to pay me back double. I came to jerk the cover on him tonight. I came to unveil some facts to some of you. I came to let some of you know it hasn't been God that's been against you. It's not the church that's against you. It's not because you were imperfect. There is a spirit that has done this thing. There is an enemy that has sowed these tears. God exposes the source. (laughs) And double is restored. Everything that he had, two times the sheep, two times the bullocks, two times everything. And I looked at that and I'm like, but he only gets seven sons and three daughters. And the Lord said, no. Because there were seven in heaven, three in heaven, seven on earth, three on earth. Everything that he had was doubled. Because I'm not about to let the thief take anything that I don't expose. 
So let me just show you a little something right here. In chapter 42, chapter 42, I got to hurry. Chapter 42, I'm just about done. Lord, have mercy. I told you I didn't know if I was going to make it. Somebody shout, expose the thief. It was so. Now, let, 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 let's just start. We've we, we got a few minutes. Let's just start. Then Job answered the Lord, verse, uh, chapter 42, said, I know that thou canst do everything. You can tell he's got a little revelation here now. That no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, have I uttered that I understood not. I said things that I did not understand when I said it. Therefore, I, I, I uttered what I understood not. Things too wonderful for me. Which I knew not hear, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I've got a whole different perspective because my eye sees you, wherefore I abhor myself. And what does he do? Oh, he repents. Okay? And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken to me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. All the junk that you've been talking has been breeding confusion, and I'm upset with you because you've been telling Job it was a pride problem, it was a blessing problem. You've been telling Job he just needs to curse me, but Job refuses to curse me, and I'm just a little bit upset with you because you have not done the right thing like Job has. Oh, my God, have mercy. I'm, Bishop, I'm telling you, I about came unglued in my office tonight. I'd never, ever seen this before. So the Lord says, Job, you need to forgive these guys. Your heart's repentant. Two things neglected. You remember that? You've repented. I want you to forgive these guys. Verse number eight, if you don't mind. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves burnt offerings. And my servant Job shall pray for you. I need him to forgive you. I want Job praying over you so that I know that he has forgiven you. Now, I don't have time to go through all this because my time is up. But you can start to see the turning of what happens right here, right now in this story. Here comes the restoration of the hedge. How does that happen? The Lord says, restore to him what he can sacrifice. The step back in the right direction. The Lord said, all right, devil, you've had enough. I have given you enough time. And I have tested the will of this man and the integrity of this man. And now I know that if I give him a ram, he's not going to withhold it. If I give him a sheep, he's not going to withhold it. Whatever I give him, he's going to give it back to him. So why don't you go ahead and start blessing him with double everything that you took from him. Because now there's going to be double sacrifice and double. And I'm going to bless him. And the hedge that you couldn't get through before, I'm going to double the hedge. God caused the naysayers to restore the sacrifice in the life of Job. And when Job forgave them and repented and began to offer sacrifice again, when the blood came back, the hedge came with it. You want to know who the angels have charge over? It's people that know about forgiveness and know about the blood. It's people that know how to forgive and people that know how to plead the blood. I want the hedge.
Let, 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 let's stand. Let's stand. You would think when you've lost everything you've got that when God starts giving it back to you, you'd hold it tight. But the Lord said, no, nah, I've tested him for 41 chapters. So now I just need you to go start. Ble- I need you to start blessing him because everything you bless him with, he's going to give it back to me. There's only one way to get the hedge back in your life. You've got to follow the same protocol. You've got to have forgiveness in your heart. Repentance in your spirit and get the blood back on the altar. You've got to get blood. Could we just lift our hands to the Lord right now? Father, we're not just asking you for a hedge tonight. We're not just asking you for the angels that you've given charge. We're not just asking you for that. What we're asking you for is to be sure that our hearts are right. Come on, if you feel it right now, just cry out to it. God, I'm not asking you to do something tonight that you're not bound to do by your word. But I want the hedge in my life, so I want to be sure that I've got sacrifice on the altar. I want to be sure that I'm all right with my brother. I want the hedge.